Please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. This will be for axiom number 50. But before I go to axiom number 50, let me back up for just a minute to axiom number 49, which was authority to be exalted. I want to commend all of you young people, all of you children, all of you youth, especially you youth that are 18 and above, for your submission to your parents and for honoring your parents in a generation when it is not appreciated, not respected, and they are not doing it. And they'll make fun of you and they'll want to crucify you because you're over 18, you're still living at home, you're still obeying your parents. When you're asked to do something, you may say those terrible words, I need to ask my parents. And they do, they do not recognize that, but God recognizes that. Yes. And it's going to bring about wonderful blessings in your life because the Bible says, it shall be well with thee. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, God knows when he attaches a promise to a commandment, and he said, this is the first commandment with a promise like this, it shall be well with thee. I want to commend all of you. Victoria, April, Daniel, I'm not going to name all of you, I'm just going to name a few. I commend you in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Let them say whatever they will. It's the right thing to do. And when you're a parent, you're going to appreciate that you gave your parents that because what goes around comes around. In the Bible, it's worded, Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You wives that have learned to submit to your husbands, I commend you in Jesus' name. Husbands make mistakes. Husbands don't make the best choices sometimes and you submit anyway. That is the right thing for you to do. Let them find out the hard way that they made a poor choice. Better than you telling them that they made a bad choice. Let them find out. It's like our government. They make their choices and we submit. We respect them, we honor them, we vote for them, we vote them in, we vote them out. We do what we can, but otherwise it's between them and the Lord. And I commend you wives. The Lord sees and knows every one of you. And I pray that you, like me, will learn submission, reverence of authority, humility before authority, and the respect that God requires us to have for them. I commend you in Jesus' name. I thank you as a church for being an obedient church. I do not believe that I will be accosted before I get out of this parking lot by those who are grieved about missing a 4th of July church party. Oh, 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 you think I'm making something up? Oh, no. It's a tradition. We always do something on the 4th of July. Pastor, what are you, you're trying to change things in this church, and we're not going to allow it. The deacon board has met. So I, I commend and thank you in Jesus' name, and I'm not trying to be funny. I commend and thank you in Jesus' name. When you read the whole Bible and learn authority like the Lord has shown it to us, it brings to bear natural blessings and supernatural blessings because the world works its best when the five spheres of authority 
are working and being respected and honored. And we've tried to promote that in this church because of your blessing, Heavenly Father. And by your spirit and by your word, you've taught us. We were difficult for a while, but we love your word now. And we rejoice in every word that we find in it about submission to authority. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 15. The simple believeth every word. But the prudent man looketh well to his going. The simple believeth every word. You want to find a simple person? They don't question, search, prove all things. They just accept whatever they're told. But the prudent man who looks out for what he believes, he looks well to his going. He wants to make sure he makes wise decisions that lead him through life. Verse 8 says, The wisdom of the prudent, it's still talking about that same good man, is to understand his way. I want you to always know why you do what you do. Do you know why you do it? Do you have a solid biblical basis for doing it? But the folly of fools is deceit. They're deceived by their choices in life. Number 50 is decisions by the Bible. You should make decisions by the Bible. And there is a mechanism that God's put in the Bible for us to make good decisions. We face dilemmas at times. We face choices and we're not sure, but the Bible can help us. Decisions by the Bible, axiom number 50. The true worldview that God's given us includes a simple mechanism for decision-making to avoid folly. Number one, the axioms that have already been provided, 49 of them, in this worldview create parameters that limit all our choices. The first 49 have already limited our choices down considerably from what a person had have available to them that didn't believe these axioms. So there's already a limiting factor. Number two, the Bible is absolute truth in axiom number four, so consult it for divine wisdom. We sang this morning from Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right. Making wise the simple. So we go to the Bible to help make our decisions. And the book of Proverbs, and you read chapter 4 last evening, is filled with practical advice on how to make decisions. The Lord put that in there. When we we step into the divine library and look at those beautiful shelves in the 66 volumes, one of them is called Proverbs, where the Lord picked the genre of Proverbs for us. And it's beautiful. And those pithy little statements that the Lord gave us help us make wise decisions. And so we go to the Bible. Number one, our axioms have already limited us. Number two, by using axioms two and four, we go to the Bible. Number three, to make sure you are within the parameters, the Bible tells you to prove all things. Like verse 15 right here. The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. He does put some study time into the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 would say, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So you got to prove it. The Bereans were called noble because they received it with a ready mind, but they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things that Paul taught were actually in the Bible. Number four, under this axiom number 50, if previous axioms are satisfied and you've looked in the Bible and it doesn't say anything against your choice, follow your heart. 
Is that taught in the Bible? Yes, it is. One of our favorite verses, Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So you can follow your heart. Remember Naomi's advice for Ruth? Ruth, take a good bath, anoint yourself, put on your best outfit, and get down there to the uh, threshing floor of Boaz. You know, they devised a way in their heart. This woman needs a husband. And the Lord took care of all the details, didn't he? And that's taught throughout the Bible in James. It says when you make a strategic plan, just say if the Lord will. And that, that, can, that makes the Lord content and he's willing to bless your strategic plan. If you say, if the, Lord w if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Go into such and such a city, continue there a year, buy and sell this particular thing. That's fine with the Lord. It's fine. Number five, I'm just working through how the Bible helps us make decisions. If the matter is serious with potential risks and you're not sure of how to apply Proverbs, then it says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So use them all. This is all in the Bible. And I'm just, I'm just reeling through it in order for you to remember, you know what? There is a safety mechanism in the Bible for me to protect myself from me and for me to protect my family from me. Number six, only use fleece or lots or draw sticks in the most even situations and only then with careful prayer. Fleece can become dangerous because you're going by circumstances. And make sure that you've done one through five carefully. And if you still have two even choices that are equal to your counselors, equal in the Bible, equally submitted to the Lord, then pray about it and go ahead and do whatever you need to do in the way of lots or casting die or a dice, and the Lord bless you. But make sure that you're praying about it and don't start out with number six. It's last and it hardly ever needs to be used because if you still have two things even after one through five, then it doesn't matter. I mean, you, yeah, eeny, meeny, money, mo's as good as anything. Um, just to pick one. But decisions by the Bible. And what I did is I just pulled from different scriptures the ways that we go about it in, in the order. The axioms already limit us. We go straight to the Bible. We prove from the Bible what is good and we hold it fast. We follow our hearts if we're not violating any Bible. If it's a serious matter and we're afraid of the potential risks, we use many counselors, and then we may use fleece if we have to choose between two equal choices. Now, I've taught you over the years uh, the mechanism of faith, making decisions, rather than four other Fs. Do you remember that the, when making wise decisions is a table with the five ways you can make a decision, and one is by faith, and the other four are by feelings, fortune, fad, or fleece. Do you remember that? It was a blessing from the Lord for us. Feelings. So many people make decisions by feelings. Well, I just felt peace about this. Where's that in the Bible? You say, it sounds scriptural. It sounds scriptural to you. Where in the world did the Lord tell us to make any choices by feelings like that? Faith is different. Faith wants something from God's word that is more specific than a feeling because our feelings are so dangerous. And there's a whole great deal of evidence in that sermon outline and that sermon against feelings. When I say fortune, 
That's making a choice for profit. Don't let fortune direct your decisions or you will veer from seeking the kingdom of God first to making money. So it's not fortune. Sometimes we will have to make a decision by faith to give up some fortune to keep the, to keep the kingdom of God first and he will take care of our fortune. Because as he says, if you put me first and my righteousness, I will add all these other things to you. And that is the eye of faith and a spiritually minded man who understands the Lord is always first. He will take care of the other parts of my life. Fad is popularity. Well, we do it because everyone else is doing it. Or we do it because most of the families in the church do it. That is not the measure. That's a fad. You're following trends. Don't follow trends. And then fleece is trusting circumstances. Let me see if I can tell it in 30 seconds. Remember the man that came to my office and said, may I have a Corvette? Yeah. And um, the man had just told me all of his financial difficulties. I said, no, you may not have a Corvette. So he went home with a sad heart because he wanted a Corvette. So his feelings were involved. And then the next day he gets up to go to work and there is his favorite color of a Corvette right out beside the road with a for sale sign on it. He just got a fleece from heaven. And so he bought the Corvette. He didn't care what the pastor had told him, even though he had laid out before the pastor his financial situation and asked for his advice. The Lord had shown him from heaven that this is the thing to do. That's, that's what I, don't, don't use fleece. Don't use a for sale sign beside the road when you already know you shouldn't have one. Why do you think it's there? Why was Bathsheba in the shower when David got up to roam around when he should have been off in the battlefield fighting other kings? That was a temptation from the Lord. It wasn't the Lord saying, this is my will for your life. That is a temptation. Look at those things as temptations. I still commend you for the way you called me. Do you remember? Okay. I love to tell the story. Hello, Dad? I'm looking at Bathsheba in the shower. What should I do? What was his last name that lived next door to me? Burkett. Let me go running with Burkett this afternoon. Just be, it's a story that you'll have to learn. ask about. That's not how we make decisions. We make decisions by faith in God's Word. And the Lord has given us this mechanism. We can go right down through a string of successive ways to make a decision. Thank you, Lord. We make our decisions by the Bible. We want to be the prudent man in verse 15 of this chapter. The prudent man looketh well to his going. We want to be the prudent man in verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way. I want you to always know why you do what you do. Don't just react in life. Don't just do it because it's got the higher paycheck. Don't just do it because it's popular. Don't do it because it's easy. Don't do it because there's some favorable circumstance. Do it because it's right. The founder of Bob Jones University had a two-word sentence for it. Do right. Okay, number 51. Number 51, and we covered this recently. Evil is not a problem. Evil is not a problem. Number 51. Thank you, Lord. We just covered it recently, and so you should remember that we covered a number of slides to look at the fact that we are often accused of having an inconsistent and illogical religion because of evil in the world, because they can't understand 
why evil's in the world. If there is a good God with unlimited power, why is there evil in the world? That to them is a contradiction of logic, definition of godhood, and, and, a, and ridicule our religion for it. But there's reasons for that. The evil is their problem, not God's. God didn't make the evil. They make the evil. Evil's not a problem. The world is full of evil. Think about that. We've already had it mentioned in this pulpit. So every worldview must deal with cruelty, pain, and suffering. Every worldview's got to deal with it. What's the source of it? How is it managed? How do we get rid of it? Well, we have answers to all those questions. Every worldview must deal with cruelty, pain, and suffering in the world. Men say that God and evil cannot coexist, but we know that is not the truth, that God creates evil in much of the... I mean, he controls all evil of suffering in the world. He controls all sin in the world. We have verses like Psalm 76 and verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee, the remainder of wrath thou shalt restrain. Our God is in total control of evil, whether it be cruelty, suffering, pain of individuals, or it's actual sin. He's in charge. And he restrains whatever he doesn't want to have happen. They cause it. Our God limits it. If we did not have a God restraining evil, it would burst forth on this planet in ways we cannot even imagine. I still do not know why someone that wants to commit murder can't figure out a better way to do it. To walk into a school with a gun? Come on! Can't you drop a bomb in Michigan Stadium where there's 118,000 sitting so close together because the seats were designed for 130-pound persons? Come on! You can't fly a small plane over the Michigan Stadium and drop something noxious? Come on! I could be a better murderer than all of them. I hope you know how I mean that. You know why it doesn't happen? There's a God in heaven. There's a God in heaven. Evil is not a problem for our God. We know God planned evil, made everything good, rules evil, and will eliminate evil. Evil is caused by man. This is just to remind you that evil is not a problem. For God is not evil in any sense, but man is always only evil. Nations with the least evil are those that are the most Christian. Observe it and believe it. Pagan evil against each other is like Israel's enemies killing themselves. Can you accept it? These pagans are going to legislate evil, but let the pagans kill the pagans. As long as they're not killing us, as long as they're not requiring us to kill them, as long as they're not requiring our engagement, let the evil work its way out. There's nations on earth that God ordained to always be fighting, and they're in the Middle East. The, one of the first prophecies in the Bible is Genesis 16, 12. One of the very first prophecies, and it's that what we call Muslims or what we call Arabians are always going to be fighting each other. That's, that's very early in the Bible, Genesis 16, 12, and we see it today. 
You know, Saudi Arabia and Iran are about to go toe-to-toe. It'll be ugly. It'll be beautiful. Because we're going to trust the Lord. He's going to restrain them if He doesn't want it. He's going to let them go at it if He wants it. You know, we had atheist Germany. We had atheist USSR. He let them go at it. You ought to read the numbers. And He saved us. We trust Him. We trust Him. There's a problem today because of the inventions that allow communication to spread all kinds of evil, whether it's evil of nature or evil of men or evil of legislation or nation against nation, they, to, to, to distract us, to scare us, to distort things. It's fake news sometimes. It's sensationalized. And because never before in the history of the world can little events be pulled out from all over of 7.5 billion people and shoved right in your face right. on the Internet. And they will pull out some little ridiculous event that took place just to jerk your chain when there's 7.5 billion people on this planet. That is why you have to endure me every now and then in an update reminding you that today, today, 466 people died an accidental death. 47 were murdered and 129 committed suicide in America alone just to keep you trying to sort through the stuff they want to push in your face as to disturb you, to distract you. The Lord's in charge of every single one of those. Every single one of those. And we trust you, Heavenly Father. How many verses in the New Testament did Paul write against Rome's infanticide? I'm going to say it again, and I hope that all of you will try to understand it. I hate our laws that allow and promote and defend and pay for abortions. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. That's, number, that's sentence number one. Sentence number two is, if the pagans want to abort the pagans, let the pagans abort the pagans. Mm-hmm. I don't lose any sleep over it at night. Mm-hmm. When they try to force our church or our families to abort a baby, like in communist China, then we'll have a a different view of that matter. I said I hate our laws and I pray against them because our nation has said that it endorses murder. But then there's another angle on that, that if the pagans want to kill the pagans, not only let the dead bury the dead, let the dead kill the dead. Just that's be here's how God would do it in the Old Testament. Jehoshaphat would say, Lord, we don't know what to do. He would say, stand back and I'll show you. And they would kill each other. Kill each other. Over and over. Kill each other. Kill each other. I said it. I hate our abortion laws and I'm excited about the states that are passing legislation against it. And it's going to put our Supreme Court to the test. And we shall see what happens. And I'll be praying for the Supreme Court to reverse Roe versus Wade. But I'm also able to look and see how God took care of other nations that were enemies of the church. And that segment of society, have at it. I hope that you'll think through it. I can't stop it. I'm going to pray against it. 
But if that's what they want to do and God's allowing it, I'm on God's side. We can have a continual feast on earth. Do you believe that? With evil around us, we can have a continual feast. Proverbs 15 and verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. When they keep bombarding you with bad news, it's easy to get broken, beat down, discouraged, but don't be. God's in charge. The Lord wins. Verse 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. And the merry heart is a choice that we have by faith to put our trust in the worldview that God's given us, that God's in charge. I don't need to turn to Ecclesiastes where he said, let thy garments be always white and and drink thy wine with a merry heart and, and love your wife and love your job. And Romans 15 tells us that we can be filled with love, we can be filled with joy and peace and be abounding in hope. Number 52. Number 52. Whole duty of man. Number 52 is the whole duty of man. We needed to stick it in there somewhere. Because of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the conclusion to Solomon's philosophy book. Solomon... History's wisest man reduced life to a fabulous conclusion. Those last two verses of Ecclesiastes 12 are fabulous. Every child should know those verses. Those verses have been with me for a long time, and I appreciate them. And I remember distinctly decades ago when I realized that that 14th verse is necessary to the whole statement, that just to have 13 was not enough. We want 13 and 14 because it's the two of them together that settle the whole matter. It's the two of them together. Because verse 14 tells us about one of our other axioms about the day of judgment comes and it should be in our minds about the choices we make. Whole duty of man. Listen to these verses. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What was the whole matter? The greatest experiment and observation of human life and the pursuit of pleasure and purpose that there ever has been. And what was the conclusion of that whole thing? Fear God and keep His commandments. That is it. Fear God, keep His commandments, have some moderate pleasures. This is the whole duty of man. This is our duty. Do you like it when the Bible summarizes things down to just a short axiom itself? This is an axiom. It's got to be, number 52, the whole duty of man. It was by extraordinary observation, experimentation, analysis, and divine inspiration that we got this summary. He tried women, a thousand women. He tried building projects. He tried money. He tried a zoo in his backyard. He tried trees. He tried singing. He tried folly. He tried wisdom. He tried everything. He tried alcohol. He tried madness. The conclusion of the whole thing, fear God and keep his commandments. And so we want to have a reverent, affection for God, never wanting to disappoint Him and always wanting to honor Him and keep everything He told us to keep. And we will have the best life possible. It gives us purpose. It gives us heaven's favor toward us. Then we can enjoy the simple pleasures of life without an evil conscience. We won't be heaping up too much wealth so that we can't sleep at night. It's just all perfect if we'll do it this way. The whole duty of man. The fear of God is not antithetical. It's not opposite, love and joy. It is complementary 
to love and joy. That's complimentary with an E for those of you that remember spelling. That's complimentary because it is adorning the, the, the reverence and, and love and joy all at the same time. I want to show you Deuteronomy 10, 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10, because in Deuteronomy 10, 12, the, the Lord combines fear of him and love of him. And you know, in other places, like Psalm 2, that some of us read this past week, it says, rejoice with trembling. And there's the combination of trembling before God, but yet having great joy in our Heavenly Father. Deuteronomy 10, 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Oh, I like it when we get a question like that, and we're going to, about to get an answer. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways. That's Ecclesiastes 12, 13. And to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. So there is loving God and serving him put right with fearing God and keeping all his ways. So the fearing God and keeping his commandments is very compatible. It's complementary. It's a perfect association with loving him. And that's 12, 13. But there's another issue, and that's in verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment. If you veer off of the whole duty of man, if you veer off it, you will give an account to God and the Lord Jesus Christ on his judgment seat. Romans 14 teaches it in three verses. 2 Corinthians 5 teaches it in three verses. Roman, Revelation chapter 20 teaches it. When he sits on his throne of judgment, heaven and earth will disappear from the face of him that sits on that throne, and we will give an account of our lives. And Solomon knew and brought it in here at the very end that that is an issue that we should deal with so that when we are making our choice, what is the purpose of life? How should I live life? What are my goals in life? Fearing God and keeping his commandments is the whole duty. And remember, you're going to give an account for everything you have done. So do it well. Do it right. Because we're going to stand in judgment. The whole matter. Your life. The whole duty of man. Fear and obedience. Perfect. Fear and love of God is key. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. You want to increase in understanding of the worldview? Then learn about the holiness of God. The whole duty of man. You know, we could go on for a long time about the whole duty of man. We're not going to. You know what's right there? It's Ecclesiastes 12. It summarizes the experimentation with every angle of life. And the wise man, after trying it all, said, this is the way. This is it. This is the whole duty. And remember that if you're doing this, it's going to give you the greatest peace and prosperity in life and fulfill your pleasure and your purpose more than any other way, it will also prepare you for the day of judgment that is coming. Now that is win-win. Number 53, we know the future. Number 53, we know the future. God gave every generation many prophecies for hope and wisdom. Who else knows the future? Does anyone else know the future? Those people that say all the uh, glaciers are going to melt, all the, all the ice caps are going to melt, New York City is going to be underwater, 
They think they know the future. They don't know anything. It's, it's amazing the stuff they come up with. We know the future. Every generation is... Did Adam and Eve know the future? Eve was going to bear children who were going to bear children who were going to bear children and there was going to be a male seed who would defeat the devil with a fatal blow to his head. Oh, yes. From the very beginning, there have been prophecies to string us along with progressive revelation and we know the future. And that is wonderful. You know what you just sang in that last verse of It Is Well With My Soul? That the Lord Jesus Christ is coming down from heaven, going to split this sky wide open and take you, resurrect your body if it's in the ground, put it back with your spirit, and you're going to live in heaven forever? We know the future. I I love living on this side of the cross because that isn't any future to us. We look back to the cross and forward to the coming. And thank you, Lord, for that. We know the future. Look at 1 Corinthians 3. Do you know that all things are yours? This passage is... Many times I have said to you, I'm not sure how to explain completely Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, where it says, until you're filled with all the fullness of God. Those words are just filled with all the fullness of God. I got another one for you right here. This is our Father in heaven. The last three verses of 1 Corinthians 3. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Remember, there was, a past, there was a preacher factions in the church at Corinth between Apollos, Cephas, Paul, and Jesus. Cephas is Peter. So there were four segments picking their favorite preacher. Therefore, let no man glory in men. Paul's just gone through all the reasons that they shouldn't glory in men, but here's his summary. For all things are yours. Apollos, Peter, Paul, and Jesus are all for you. Quit fighting about which one you like the most. All four of them are for you. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or, or, or things to come. All are yours and ye are Christ's and Christ is God's. If that doesn't give you some hope and security, I don't. I'm struggling to help. I want to help every one of you. Look at that. Can you believe that? Filled with all the fullness of God or this? It doesn't matter whether I'm the the mighty Apostle Paul or whether it's Apollos, the great eloquent orator, or whether it's Peter, one of the Lord's favorites, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. The future that we know is for our good. The future that's coming is for our benefit. Because everything is for us. We are the children of God, and we are Christ, and Christ is God's. And the whole, the whole universe is moving forward for our good. Right. If you believe the Bible. I believe the Bible. Are you willing to bet your life in this world on the Bible? Are you willing to bet your life in the next world on the Bible? Okay. It says all things are ours, including things to come. We know the future. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Satan will be loosed before the end of the world to gather the world against believers, and fire will come down from heaven and consume him. God will send fire to destroy the wicked forever. Judgment day ends the universe to declare us formally, finally, and officially before the universe as his children. Our eternal outlook 
guides our conduct because only what's done for Christ will last. That's where this axiom comes in. We know the future. The future is all about God. The future is all about His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we keep that in mind by setting our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. If ye then be risen with Christ, all you baptized believers that are here, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. We know the future. Christ is coming. We're going to be with him, and we want to live like it now. We want to stake our claim to it that it's ours for the assurance of our own souls by living for him now and setting our affection on things above. We know the future. The universe is going to be burned up and we're going to get a new one. God wins. Jesus rules the universe. We inherit all things with glorified bodies forever. This great worldview stresses the spiritual over the physical. And I want you all to remember it. I struggle with every temptation you struggle with, but I want you to remember this. 1 Timothy 4, 8, Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come, because we know the future. And so we can exercise ourselves to godliness by putting forth extra effort, consistent discipline, structure, a plan, to achieve excellence in our spiritual life by exercising ourselves to be better Christians because it has promise of the life that now is. Only a regenerated man would do it. And it has promise of the life which is to come, which is eternal life, and it's the evidence for that. So axiom number 53 affects how we live now, even though it says we know the future. Because we know the future, it should change our lives now. Number 54. You know that more could be said. Number 54. Before you start writing, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Where, where are we? We're at the last one. We're at the last one. These 53 axioms are precious from God to us. Why do we know these things? Why do we know the name of God? Why do we know that Scripture is absolute truth? Why do we know how to make wise decisions? On 53 of them, what is left? There's five young ladies in this assembly that know. What is left for us to do? We have 53 gifts from God in these 53 axioms. There's one thing left, and I'm going to give you just a few seconds to find it. It's three words, and it's in 1 Peter 2.17. Can you find it? Will this help you remember it? 1 Peter 2.17, it's three words. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. Love the brotherhood. We have to help each other, or we will fail from keeping these 53 axioms. This ties it all up and wraps it together. Love the brotherhood. Help each other keep this worldview. Based on the 53 axioms that are above it, we as the children of God are super, a super-privileged minority in the earth. We are a super-privileged minority on earth. We need to help each other live up to this. You know that we, we get tempted, 
and we fail on some of these axioms every day of our lives. We need each other. God put us together for the purpose of helping each other keep the right and only worldview. So it's love the brotherhood. The infinitely wise God designed marriage. Is that a decent thing? In the Garden of Eden, I don't care about yours. If it Don't use yours as an excuse. Did, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, was it a pretty decent thing? Well, until Eve looked at the tree. But marriage is a wonderful thing. Right. Marriage is a tremendous... How about a family? Or should babies just drop out of tree pods? A family is a, is a, a nation. Is a nation a nice invention of putting an army together to protect from bigger nations or I mean, other nations? And he made a local church. And the local church is our brotherhood. For us to help each other keep the 53 axioms. It's a little sentence in 1 Peter 2.17. Love the brotherhood. Marriage, family, nation are for profit and for pleasure. And a church was made for the same thing. And a local church is the secret temple of God and the body of Christ. It is a secret temple of God because the world doesn't know what it is. But we know what it is. It's the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are joints and parts of His body. And we want to help. He wants you to grab that metaphor. We are a body with parts and joints and muscles and sinews and strength and bone and joints and parts. And every one of us needs to contribute to help the brotherhood hold these axioms and not to... Look at where these churches came from. How, what happened to the church of Rome? Where is the church at Ephesus? They did not uphold their brotherhood commitment to help each other keep the most holy apostolic faith. We help each member of the body. Look at Ephesians 4.16, which I'm referring to, but I want you to see it. I'm almost done. A flight was canceled, so I got leave for a few extra minutes. I was going to prove to you, brethren, that I was going to prove to the brotherhood that I could finish at 105. Two Tim Weir trips in a row. He came to me just before this service started, and he said, I don't know whether I should tell you or not. But my flight was canceled, so I've had to restructure my flight out of Greenville. For those of you in Radio Land, I'm sorry. Look at Ephesians 4.16. My job is up there in 8 through 11, and it works into verse, there, there, there I am in verse 11, for you, for you, all things are yours. Did you hear 1 Corinthians 3? Whether it's Cephas, Paul, or Apollos, or Jonathan Crosby, all things are yours. Everything is for you. I am alive for you. And I know that. God knows it, and God knows I know it. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to build up the brotherhood of a local church. And it comes down to verse 16. From whom? Because Jesus Christ was just mentioned at the end of verse 15. From whom? From Jesus Christ, the whole body, fitly joined together. Jesus Christ chose every one of you members to be here with me and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Are you compacting this church as a joint that supplies? According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, are you doing your part? Are you working up to the measure of your part to effectually build this church, making increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love? We build ourselves up, that's edifying of itself 
in love, because we love the brotherhood, we make increase of the body by spiritual growth to where our church is everything Jesus Christ wants it to be so that we are a fit, Olympic-type, world-class, athletic body with Jesus as the head, and we are functioning in total unity and coordination because we're the brotherhood and we love the brotherhood. I hope I can keep this to one or two minutes. And I hope that some of you that don't fully understand your Bibles will forgive me. The Bible uses 10 sports metaphors. That you don't understand sports, I am sorry for your sake because you miss out the argument. If you've never played a team sport, I'm sorry for your sake that you can't appreciate Paul's argument. On Thursday night, six miles due west of downtown Boston at a $16 million mansion, 150 $50,000 rings were passed out to a bunch of guys that acted like David before the Ark of the Covenant, dancing with all their might and celebrating as the New England Patriots, who won Super Bowl 53, each got their $50,000 Super Bowl ring. Their camaraderie, their camaraderie, their joy, their excitement, their knowledge that it was a team sport and they couldn't have done it without each other, mind-blowing. All I... Sherry heard me go off, and I preached a sermon at home because the Apostle Paul only understood Greek athletics, and the Greeks had crowns. Our football, NFL, which is by far the most popular sport in America, gives rings. And Tom Brady is there with his six rings because he's won six Super Bowls and he's sticking them right in your face. But he didn't do... They were celebrating as a team. Nobody even knows what a center is on a team, a football team. But there is Tom Brady in his $5,000 suit hugging his center, David Andrews from the University of Georgia, who's just in a T-shirt with the tail hanging out, but they're hugging each other because every game... Tom Brady has to go down below him, and they work together. And they work together. And there are corporate teams that work together like this, and there are SEAL teams that work together like this. And I wish before God our church would be a team like the New England Patriots are a team. That owner, that owner kisses every single one of them. That coach and the owner and the affection that they have between them is precious. We want it as a church. Tom Brady with his rings, Sherry knows I went off because my Lord Jesus Christ is crowned with many crowns. And we sang it today. Crowned with many crowns and he's going to crown us. He's on a white horse and we're going to be on white horses because he's made it a team sport. He's in front. He's our leader. The Bible calls him our captain. Does that word bother you? He's called our commander. Does that word bother you? Their unity, their commitment. The ring has 422 diamonds. 108 of those diamonds are for the 108 practices of the 2018 season. Every feature on that $50,000 ring, it's the size of a small egg, you don't wear it, hardly, has meaning. And you know, 
their practice, every practice had a diamond to remind them that 108 times we got together and trained to be the best. Do you know what we've done today? We've got together to train to be the best. Will you love the brotherhood with me? We can't give God gold. We can't give Him silver. We can't give Him precious stones. We can't give Him timbers from Tyre. We can't give Him stonemasons from Tyre. We can love the brotherhood. Will you help each one around you keep the 53 axioms the Lord's shown us? Don't, you, don't just come in here and sit. Some of you come in and you just find a seat and sit down. We're not here to sit. You're not even here to hear me preach. That's only a part of it. You're here to exhort one another and to consider one another and to provoke one another to love and to good works. We have the greatest owner. Yes. Amen. Are you, I, I'm going to be very careful. We have the greatest captain, and we have that captain's team that he's chosen. That's right. The captain chose each of. Right. I, I know that I probably irritate you. It's reciprocal, <laughs> and I I know we irritate each other a little bit. But when it comes time to play the game. Are we there for each other? Right. Amen. Inside that ring, it won't mean anything to you. We're all patriots. It's the patriot way. They're more disciplined, more intelligent, and more teamwork because they will not allow any I in the word team. And you're thrown out of that team right in the middle of the season. Bill Belichick will throw you out if you are not a team player. Can we all be team players and take this worldview that God's given us and give God a temple that he is honored in when he, when he comes and assembles with us and when he's with us during the week when we're not in an assembly, but we are stones together that he inhabits. This is his habitation. Can we give him the best? You cannot be a loner. You're fired if you're going to be a loner. You've got to reach out and help each other. We have got to band together and be a band of brothers and put in some real teamwork because that's loving the brotherhood. It's been taught so many times in this church. I have taught it once a quarter since I've been your pastor. Mm -hmm. Just go back and look. It might not be under that name of teamwork, but it will be there. Whether it's bodybuilding or brotherly love, it'll be there. Because I know how important it is in the Bible. And for us to succeed to be what God wants us to be, we need to be a great team. That's the only right worldview. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's serve him together and give him a great church here. And let's show our children that there's something they can hold on to and that they will promote, defend, teach, and practice it for the rest of their lives as well. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.